So we're gonna start off the service like we always do. Well, everybody, good morning to you guys. How y'all doing out there? Woo! Right on. Hey, South Beach Church. We are at the Southern Steps in Jerusalem right now, and we are on day six or seven or eight, I can't even keep track now, of our tour of the Holy Land. We began in uh, Joppa on the coast, and then we cruised up to the Sea of Galilee, down to the Dead Sea, and then into Jerusalem. And so we have had so much to enjoy, and right now we're kind of ending our tour with three days in Jerusalem. And where we're sitting right now, which is so special, is these are the southern steps of the old Temple Mount here in Old City of Jerusalem. And the reason why it's so special is because this would be the exact area where Jesus would actually come up the stairs and go into the Temple Mount to worship and to teach and to receive. And really this is where all of the Jews would do that. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna do kind of two portions of scripture, uh, I would say this morning for y'all back home. But for you guys, it's still the morning here, I don't even know. But take your Bibles and uh, open up to John 7. John 7, and these southern steps are so special for so many reasons. One of the reasons why they're so special, though, is when Jesus's family came at age 12 to Jerusalem to worship, they were here celebrating the Feast of Passover. Now, you guys know that this is Palm Sunday. You're watching this. We're not quite there yet, but the week after will be the week of Passover. In 2,000 years ago, Jesus and his family traveled from Nazareth all the way here for Passover. And they celebrated that feast and they enjoyed what God had done remembering the feast of Passover. And what happened on the last couple days is his family took off and they went back to Nazareth. And Mary thought Joseph had Jesus and Joseph thought Mary had Jesus or vice versa. They both thought they each were taking care of little guy Jesus and they left him here. Raise your hands if you've ever lost your kids for a little bit. You ever lost your kids for a little bit? Shame on you. That's crazy. Um, no, I know what it's like to lose a kid. You can't find them. And, and Mary and Joseph lost the son of God. Like, give me a break. You had one job and they totally blew it. And so they came back here and this is where they found Jesus. On these steps, listening to and asking questions of the Pharisees and the teachers. And the Bible says in Luke 2 that they were impressed and, and mind blown at his wisdom and his stature. Not a lot. That might be the only portion of scripture we have about young Jesus. And then he went back to Nazareth and lived faithfully under the tutelage of his parents and he became a carpenter. And at age 30, he began his earthly ministry. And he would go from all the way Galilee, way up north, to Jerusalem throughout his ministry. And these steps are so special because Jesus would travel here. One of my favorite stories is in John 7. And in John 7, Jesus' brothers, Jude and James, Joses, and the sisters, which are not mentioned, are on their way to Jerusalem from Nazareth. And they make fun of Jesus in this time. They say, hey, Jesus, we're going up to Nazareth or going up to Jerusalem. Why don't you go up there and do some of your magic tricks, do some of your miracles? For they did not yet believe. Rightfully so, can you, under, can you imagine Jesus being your older brother and, and every time you get in trouble, Mary and Joseph would say to you, why can't you be like Jesus? You know, why can't you be more like your older brother? And, and they were kind of frustrated with him. And so Jesus said to them, I'm not going up right now. Now is not my time. But Jesus did end up going and it wasn't the Feast of Tabernacles, or I'm sorry, the Feast of uh, Passover, but it was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a time when the Jews would gather together and celebrate God's faithfulness to them in the wilderness wandering. And to celebrate, what they would do is build tabernacles outside of their homes and they would live outside under the stars and remember what their forefathers had gone through. 
And they would also celebrate every single day for seven days, the pouring out of water and the celebration that God provided for them in the wilderness when they needed water through Moses. And if you have your Bibles, tune in with me on the very last day of the feast. I want you guys to see this. Jesus, I believe this didn't happen on these steps. Maybe he was inside the interior of the, the gathering where the people would, would, alt, would worship around the altar. But look at verse 37 of John 7. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, John is writing this as the last gospel contributor. John would write this late, late in his life. And he said, you know what, guys? Do you remember that one time we were there at the Temple Mount? And it was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen, and the priests were about to pour out their water. Listen, this was crazy. They're pouring out their water and they would march around the altar seven times and celebrate. And they're about to pour out this water ceremonially and symbolically. And Jesus stands up and says, hey, hey, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and I will give you living water. Can you, I'm gonna read it again. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John reminded us then, include us in, that he was actually talking about the Holy Spirit that would come later. Guys, this would be so offensive. This would be so intense. Jesus' brothers made fun of him. They weren't believers at the time. They said, hey, why don't you go do a trick? And Jesus, in John 7, said, guys, the real living water, the real thing, actually, he, he precedes this statement with a question. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. We all thirst. I'm thirsty right now. We all thirst. We, we all have things in our life where we're wondering, how can I get this filled? Every single day there's urges and there's temptations and there's difficulties and detours. And Jesus here puts it all on the line. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and I will give you rivers of living water. He said the same thing to the woman at the well. Remember in John chapter four in Samaria, about 20 miles from here, 20 miles from here, Jesus on his way to Galilee told his boys, hey, you know what? I need to go to Samaria. And he told this woman who he asked, hey, can I get some of your water? And she was offended and said, what are you talking about? You can't talk to me. You're a man, I'm a woman and you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus said, you know what? If you really knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. <laughs> and Jesus, she looked at Jesus and said, how are you gonna give me water, bro? You don't have a, a Nalgene bottle or a Camelback. You don't even have a bucket. And Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you knew who I was, out of your belly would flow living water, torrents of living water. Guys, we're in Israel right now. You guys are at South Beach Church, I assume, or watching later online. But nothing's changed. The woman at the well. You know her story, she was destitute, she was discouraged, people had given up on her, not Jesus. Jesus went to her and he said, no, 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 I'm not done with you, I'm not done with you. If you drink from me, if you knew who I was, and Jesus revealed himself, I believe, more clearly to her than to any other person in his earthly ministry. Remember, she went on to argue with Jesus and said, hey, you know what, hey, 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 when the Messiah shows up, he's gonna lead us into all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. 
the clearest possible declaration. Jesus was clear in declaring himself to people because he came to seek and to save the lost. The most famous verse possibly is John 3, 16. For God so, let's all say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We all know it. And the next verse. For the son of man did not come into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. Do you, do you know the gospel? Do you know the good news? Jesus coming to this place and letting people know, hey, on the final great day, by the way, I wrote it down here because I'm not that smart. This is the day that they would call Hoshana Rabbah, which literally means the great Hosanna and the great salvation. That's the seventh day and Jesus said, I'm the great Hosanna, I'm the great salvation. He wasn't afraid to put it all out there. Now, I'm trying to get to the real sermon. This is just a warm-up, just kind of getting, getting warmed up here. And, and, and who's keeping track of time? Eastside's not here to tell us when we're done. We're seven minutes in. I'm so glad you're here, Glenna. You're like my favorite person right now. Anyways, let's keep, let's keep reading. Listen to what it says in verse 40. I want you guys to see this. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Isn't that cool? Some people, when they heard that, they instantly were believers. They're like, wow, wow, this is him. How many guys have come to that conclusion in your life? Raise your hand if you, if you come to that conclusion. Man, I've come to that conclusion. <laughs> this is him. People were fired up. It doesn't stop right there. It says, uh, truly, this is the prophet. Others says, and others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Some people said, wow. Others said, this is the Christ. Other people said, will he come out of Galilee. There are three different responses really I find in Christianity when you're introduced to Christ. Maybe you're like me and you're like, yep, it's him. Other people are like, no, no, it's not him. Other people say this though, I'm not sure if it's him. Will he come out of Galilee? Is this, is this possible? Is this possible? Can Christ come out of Galilee? Everyone is at a unique spiritual location in their journey. We've all been real close to the Lord at times. Hopefully you're real close to the Lord right now. We've also all been distanced from the Lord through, through attitude or action. And it's important just to be kind of patient with people and letting them figure it out because God, listen, has came to save and to seek the lost, to minister. It goes on to say this in verse 42, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Christ comes to seek and to save, but there will be a divide there will be those who don't see him right away. And I'm so blessed to be here right now seeing Jesus with you guys and seeing him in new ways. How many of you guys are excited to go back to Newport or wherever you're from? There's a lot of people not from Newport and see Jesus in the scriptures and see the scriptures in a new way. And you guys who didn't get to go on the trip, man, we're gonna hopefully put together another trip in just a couple weeks. <laughs> just kidding. No. But in a, in a, I, I would if I could. But maybe, maybe next year and you can start saving your shekels right now and get ready for the next trip. But, but I want us to focus as it's Palm Sunday. I asked near our guide, he's sitting over here on my right. I asked him, I said, hey, Palm Sunday is the week that precedes Passover, which for Jews is their celebration, and is the week that precedes Easter, which is for Christians. And I said, is there anything that happens the week before for Jews? Jesus showed up on Palm Sunday. We've made a big deal of it, the triumphant entry. And I just said, is there anything else? And he said, he said no, there's, there's nothing else. So imagine that on that Sunday, Palm Sunday, the Sunday that you're watching this, Jesus shows up to Jerusalem and he shows up in such a special way. I want you guys to are writing notes or taking uh, things into consideration. Matthew talks about it. 
Not all the gospel writers record the same stories, but Matthew chose to include, listen, the triumphant entry. And then Mark also, when he wrote his gospel, only 14, maybe 16, I should say, 16 chapters, Mark said, I wanna write about the triumphant entry too. And then Luke also, who went on great detail with his book, he said, you know what I'm gonna write about? The triumphant entry also. And then John also, when he wrote his gospel, you know what he included? The triumphal entry as well. Every single gospel writer said, you know what, there's a lot of things Jesus did in his life, in his prophecies, in his ministries, listen, in his teachings, but all of them included the triumphant entry. And if you're thinking this through with me, I want you to consider this. Not only did they include the triumphant entry, but they all included pieces of the Passion Week. Those six days leading up to the seventh day where Jesus would be arrested on Thursday night after the Last Supper, where he would be tried six times, where he would be then crucified on Friday morning at 9 a.m. at Golgotha, where we'll be tomorrow, where we'll take communion at the Garden Tomb. Every single gospel writer speaks of these events. As a matter of fact, if you take the entire Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and add them together, one-third of all the Gospels is dedicated to the final eight days of Jesus' life. I want to say that again. One-third of all of the Gospels, all the stories, all the prophecies, all the promises, all the teachings Jesus taught, parables, and He taught lessons. And yet the Gospel writers, it's as if they knew, hey guys, listen, the Gospel, His best friends, it's as if they knew that it was all about the cross, that it was all about Jesus saving us from our sins and coming as the shepherd to find the lost sheep that had gone astray. And this is what the gospels are all about. This is what Jesus is all about. And what better way to portray that than coming into Jerusalem right on time on the back of a donkey, coming in right on time on Palm Sunday to fulfill the mission that God had sent him on, to fulfill the words that he'd already spoken on these steps inside. Come unto me, all you who are weary, and drink of me, and out of your life will flow rivers of living water to the woman at the wells as in addition. So hey, take your Bibles and open up to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Every one of the gospel writers had a different target audience. Matthew wrote his gospel specifically to his Jewish brothers. He was a Jew and he had been saved by the Jewish Messiah. And he said, if you're a Jew, I need you to understand this is the king. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. His specific target audience was to his Jewish brethren. Let's read a few verses and see what we can get out of it. Glenna, how are we doing on time? Uh, 14 minutes. 14 minutes. Okay, we got a 90-minute sermon here planned. It's going to be just fine. I got a half an hour? I'll go less than that. It says, now when they drew near Jerusalem, we're in Jerusalem, and they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Stop right there, eyes up here. Where's this happening? It's happening right back over on my left. Go ahead and pan the camera over there. Over on my left, now we see the camera going, that's the Mount of Olives. We tried to film this sermon there yesterday and it was 36 degrees below zero. It was blowing snow and rain. Uh, it was in, I mean, it was bad. It was bad. And that, the, right below, just keep the camera going over there. All of those kind of stone figures you see are graves uh, of Jewish men and women who have been buried there on the Mount of Olives. And it's one of the most uh, prestigious places to be buried because they believe that when the resurrection of the dead happens, that they'll be the first to rise and the closest to the great city of Jerusalem. And so right over there, though, before all those graves is the Mount of Olives. And to the left a little bit of where 
where the camera can't see on the corner of that building, that is the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you go even further to the left of, of the building, you would see the Eastern Gate. And this, is be, this would be where Jesus would walk in and out of during this time period that we're about to read about. But Jesus starts the story. You can pan back this way now, son. Uh, my son Noah's uh, go ahead and filming right now. Everyone back in uh, the States, give him one clap. Yeah, or here too. And, and so it says there that when they drew near to the Mount of Olives, that Jesus sent two of his disciples back the opposite direction. I've taught this sermon many times before, but it's interesting how Jesus kind of messes with us when we become disciples. Have you noticed that Jesus kind of messes with you? Just like God messed with Abraham a little bit. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And, and he, got, he was real old. That was the first kind of prank, you know, like, hey, we're pretty old. and Sarah's super old and it's not going to work out very good. And, and God, God's going to do it anyways. And, and then God waited 17 years. Like, okay, that's kind of crazy. Like, I thought you were going to do this. And, and then eventually it got Isaac. And isn't it a miracle? And then eventually God says, hey, why don't you go ahead and sacrifice Isaac? And God's always going to mess with you. Be ready for that. Be used to it. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest ways to get your roots to grow down deeper is to let the Lord kind of just shake your branches every once in a while and, and to, to shake the things in your life. He'll do it. I don't want that. Anybody else? Want, I, don't, I don't like that. But I just come to realize as I study the scriptures, God will often cause me and tell me to go the opposite direction. Things in your life will spin out of control. Like, what the heck's going on? Can you imagine walking from Galilee to Jerusalem on the triumphant entry day and, got, and Jesus is like, okay, we walked this far. Who wants to go back to the last town we just came from? <laughs> Walking's not easy for anybody, especially for them. And I just want to encourage you, just take the next right step. Do the next right step. Whatever's going on in your life right now, maybe it's backwards, maybe it's upside down, maybe you feel like God's messing with you, maybe it's a different situation and you feel like you've been rebellious and you're messing with God and now things are messed up. He says, hey, just do what I said. Take the next right step. He gives them specific instructions, by the way. Look at verse two again. It says, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. I'm not sure if that's the voice they were supposed to use, but that's what I would have done. And immediately he will send them. Stop right there, eyes up here. The details involved here, to me, uh, are amazing. Couldn't God have just, you know, reserved the donkey there on the Mount of Olives? He could have. He could have done this a lot more efficiently. But instead he said, no, I want to use you in this task. I want to use you in this next process. And I'm going to give you specific details. This is very important. I don't believe there are any details in our lives that aren't specifically necessary to accomplish the perfect will of God in our lives. There are details in my life that I kind of challenge and I question. Lord, why'd that happen? Lord, why'd that happen? Lord, why is this happening right now? Lord, this is an interesting detail. Why is this happening? And sometimes you might even ask yourself this question, Lord, are you, are you aware of the details? Are you aware of the challenges I'm going through? Sometimes you can rack your brain and try and figure things out as well. Like, why is this happening? couple days ago, early on in the trip, my, my really good friend Libba over here, Libba was walking and, and she kind of twisted her knee at one point and, and it just, you know, it was, a, it was a setback for about six hours. She had to go, you know, to the hospital for six hours and she came back and, and I remember talking with her just as it was happening. She said, I'm just trying to ask God, what, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to show me, Lord? The beautiful thing about it is Jesus said specifically, not one hair of our head is not numbered and not one sparrow of the, uh, of the sky falls to the ground without the Father's knowing it. God knows everything. Sometimes I doubt this. As a matter of fact, the very first lie told in the Garden of Eden was a lie of God's goodness. Are you sure God's good? Are you sure he's aware of what's going on? Because it looks like you're, you're, you're suffering. It looks like he's holding out on you. 
And don't you feel that temptation from time to time? Yeah, what is going on? And then we start to go down the weird path of rebellion and compromise. And yet, I'll tell you what, let's just decide right now, whatever God says to do is right. He's going to provide. He's going to lead us. He gives them specific instruction here. He says, look, if anybody tells you that that donkey's not available, you just tell them the Lord needs your donkey. I like to put it this way. God made provision for their problems. How many of you guys like problems? I don't like problems. But every problem we find ourselves coming into, God's going to give us a way out. Now, if you're trying to do anything right now, major. Right now at South Beach Church, we just bought land and we're trying to build a, a, a building and go through a fundraising campaign and deal with people and, and all these things are happening. And there's, there's problems, lots of problems, problems everywhere. And I want to remember, God has made provision for our problems. And he's going to use your life and he's going to use my life. Even with the problems in frame, the problems in view, he's going to use that in order to glorify himself, in order to prove, listen, that Jesus is real. So don't wince at the problems. Don't flinch at the obstacles. As a matter of fact, next time you go through something hard, just say this, good, good, good. We're going to use this. God's going to use this for his glory and for others' good. He's going to give you provision for your problems. He's in the details. I also believe that God works on both ends. Sometimes I think that God doesn't know what's going on and what I need to do. And I get into trouble sometimes when I high control things and try and make things happen. God says, no, no, I will go on the other side. I'll provide a place for you. I'll provide a donkey for your needs. Let's keep going or we're going to run out of time. Glenn is going to, going to get me in trouble here. Look at verse 4. All of this was, was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fold of a donkey. Stop right there, eyes up here. I want to stand up, but my mics will fall off and things will get weird. I'm so excited. John later on says, man, it was weird. By the way, the two disciples who were volunteered to go the opposite direction into the past village, we don't know their names. I'll bet you someone just immediately, like, oh, my, my ankle hurts, you know, or my sandal's broken. Like, who went? I don't know who went. Maybe it was John. But John later on says, you know what, guys? It was actually more spectacular than we understood. We could have just walked into Jerusalem. We could have just like, Jesus, what's your, what are you doing right now, Jesus? Why are you making this complicated? He says, all of this was done to fulfill the prophet. All of this was done to fulfill God's will. All of this was done to fulfill prophecy. Can I just encourage you in two ways right now? God wants to incorporate you into his mission for two main reasons. Number one is to teach you to serve. He wants to encourage you. He wants to include you. Jesus said the greatest among us is the servant of all. Naturally, especially as Americans, I can't speak for all you guys. You're, you're all Americans. I think you guys are American. We're pretty selfish. We have it pretty easy. We, we, we can get it our way and we can, you know, hit the easy button. And, and, and Jesus is careful. Don't get too lazy. It's better to give than to receive. Be a servant. Now, he's not here with us. He hasn't been on the tour, but our bus driver, his name's Haim, and he's such a, such a joy. And if you guys remember when we were in the, the Druze village, we got to this Druze village way up in the Golan Heights there, and the border of Syria was on our right, and the border of Lebanon on our left, and we were hungry, so we went to this Druze village, and I won't describe their religion right now. It's, it's secret. We don't even know it. But when we got to the Druze village there, they were busy with all of us, and our bus driver got out of the bus, went behind the counter, and started making our lunch uh, for us, and started serving that way. And Haim has done nothing but serve us this entire trip, hasn't he? Such an amazing bus driver. As a matter of fact, it's such a gift from God near our guide in Haim. They just met on this trip. This is their first time meeting together. And when I met them there in Tel Aviv, I said, hey, nice to meet you, Haim. How long have you and Nir been friends? And Nir said, I just met him. You know, and I was like, oh, cool. Let's see how this goes. And Haim has been a, a, a demonstration of a servant. 
I've noticed, you, you all have noticed. I've also seen you guys, you know, helping out around, picking up people's luggage and push, pushing Libba around in the wheelchair and, and serving people. And I'll tell you what, when God asks us to serve, it's because it's going to be used for his glory. It's because it's going to be used for his kingdom. Let's never get lazy. Keep serving. Don't seek to be served. As a matter of fact, Mark chapter 10, 45 says, For the Son of Man came to serve and not be served and to give his life a ransom for many. And I want to remind myself, the second thing that God wants to do in your life is not just incorporate you to be a servant, but he wants to incorporate your life in his mission to fulfill prophecy and to fulfill scripture and to fulfill the purpose for his coming coming to earth. I don't know about you, but that excites me. I want to be part of something bigger than myself. We get to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Not everyone does. Everyone wants to. Everyone wants to start a company or start a franchise or make a name for themselves. And Jesus says, hey, all all you got to do is go get a donkey. All you got to do is go in the opposite direction. It's okay to backpack. Backpack? Backpedal. Backtrack and backpedal at the same time as backpacking now. It's okay to just trust the Lord and to do these things. Well, I will move on. It says all these things were done and the scriptures are given to us that were fulfilled in doing so. So the disciples went, I like verse six, and they did as Jesus had commanded. Give them a gold star. They did it just as he had said. By the way, would we just commit to that? God said it. I believe it. Settles it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. These guys did it. They just went, no complaint. Maybe they did complain, but we don't know. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very large multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out singing. Stop right there, eyes up here. A couple things are happening. There's three groups of people responding in three different ways. Some people are taking their clothes off and they're serving and giving in that way. It would be a form of respect. Hey, hey, put, put my, my sweatshirt down so Jesus can sit on a saddle. Make, make it more comfortable for him. We're, we're gonna call this giving, serving. They, they respond in this way. They say, I wanna be part of this and they begin to respond and it becomes cathartic if that's the right word. I haven't looked up that word in a while. It helps other people begin to then do it alongside of them. Oh, we're taking off, oh, we're, we're, we're serving, we're giving. Additionally, they took palm branches like this one right behind you guys and the one I'm pointing to here and they cut down these palm branches to, to show their, their respect and to enter the way. Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and they began to serve and to give and additionally, they began to worship and sing. And they began to say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And I would just say these three markers are going to be evidenced in your life as well. If you're a Christian, you'll be serving. If you're a Christian, you'll be giving. And if you're a Christian, you'll be worshiping. And as the Lord gives us opportunity to do those things, may we grow in those areas. Wasn't it so fun to sing in that church yesterday, a cappella? I was a little bit scared, so I put myself right in the front row. Because I don't really sing that well. You know, I knew Toby was going to carry us. And it was just so fun to sing those songs and to worship. And to be here in Jerusalem serving each other and, and worshiping God and giving of ourselves. We see that evidenced right here in the song that they sang again is a quote, direct quote out of Psalm 118. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Look at verse 10. And when he had come into the city, into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Stop right there, eyes up here. Thus concludes the triumphal entry 
from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Mark, Luke, and John all give us a few different pieces, a few different insights that Matthew didn't include. One thing I'll say that was unanimous, though, in the seven days of Jesus' passion, not seven days, but, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, arrest, Friday morning, crucifixion, Friday afternoon, burial. That Passion Week, Jesus would not spend one day in Jerusalem. He would come here, he would teach on these steps, he would go into the temple, he would cleanse the temple the next day, but on this particular Sunday, as he entered in, he didn't stay in Jerusalem. He went back to Bethany every single night, to Mary's house, to Lazarus's house, to his friend's house. This is Jerusalem. But he knew that Jerusalem was going to reject him. He knew that this wasn't his home. These weren't his people, at least not yet. And so Jesus would leave every single night. Now the Gospel of Luke tells us a little bit different story. If you have your Bible there, turn to Luke 21, actually Luke 19. And I want to kind of backtrack one little bit and contrast something. I began kind of talking today, just reminding us of John 3.16 and John 3.17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In John 3.17, because the, Lord, the Son didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is the heart of God. In Luke 19, right before Jesus comes in to the triumphal entry, he teaches a parable known as the parable of the minus. How many of you guys have heard the parable of the minus? It's actually a pretty savage parable. Jesus talks about one person getting 10 and one person getting five and one person getting one. And he ends the story with the guy who got one and didn't really do anything with it. He kind of just what, freaked out. He spazzed out. He didn't really respond well. And you know what Jesus said to that man in that parable? He said, take that one that he has and give it to the one who has 10. And look at verses 26 and 27. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given and the one, and the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Stop right there and eyes up here. Did you see? It's so sad. I want to read it again because it's like almost crazy. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. This is harsh. This would have freaked people out. And yet on the very heels of this statement, you have to pick, you have to choose. On the very heels of this, Jesus got on a donkey and rolled in because he's the savior. See, there's truth and grace. The two are equal sides of the coin. The truth is, is we need a savior. The truth is, is we can't do this alone. The truth is, is that Jesus is real. The truth is, is that if you're not on his side, you're against him. Jesus said, if you aren't with me, you're against me. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. This is harsh. And yet Jesus, willing that none should perish, made sure that everyone has a way. Everyone has an opportunity to be saved. And I, for one, am so glad that Jesus was patient with me. He was severe with me. Wages of sin are, is death. There will be a separation. But Jesus knows those who are his own and he comes to seek and to save the lost. Well, guys, as we continue through this story, I'm not gonna read the entire triumphal entry, but notice, look at verse 39. It says, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples as they were singing. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is one of two times we see Jesus weeping. The first was in John 11 at Mary and Martha's house at Lazarus' funeral. Jesus wept. He wept over the condition of their heart, the brokenness, the reality of the situation. And now Jesus here on the eve of the week of his 
crucifixion, he sees Jerusalem and he weeps right over on that hillside. Before he came in, he sees Jerusalem and he goes on to give commentary. Verse 42, he says, If you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. Does that remind you of Masada just a little bit? Remind you of what happened here? And level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Listen to this last sentence in verse 44. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Most of you studied this out. If you haven't, tune in. Tune in and listen. Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago on the triumphal entry. He had just preached a sermon, a parable about choosing. If you don't choose, man, it's not going to go well for you. And Jesus rode in on a donkey. And when he saw Jerusalem in its divided state, he wept for them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had known even you this day, the day of your peace. But you didn't know because your eyes are blinded at this time. You can't see it yet. You can't see it now. And then in the last verse, which I ask you to pay attention to, he says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, those of you who are uh, prophetical in nature and have studied the scriptures and its eschatology and its end times and its nuances from the Old Testament to the New Testament, know that there's a prophecy in the book of Daniel. And there's a prophecy in the book of Daniel where Daniel is given the time of the coming of the Messiah. It's actually to the day. And the Bible says in the book of Daniel that from the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem, there shall be 69 heptads or seven year periods. There shall be a certain time period after the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem. And on that very day, the Messiah will come in. Now, people have gone to great lengths to take calendars and calculators and Jewish festivals and to do the math. I have not done that. But some have concluded that when Jesus rode in on the donkey, it was A.D., 32, April 6th. And on that day, if you take your calendar and go back 176,880 days backwards, it takes you to March 14th, 445 BC, which is the exact day in Nehemiah chapter 2 where Nehemiah is given, listen, the command to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, let me say that again in case I lost you. In Nehemiah chapter 2, there's a command given. Go build Jerusalem. It's a miracle command. If you've not read the book of Nehemiah, it is a miracle. I named my second son after Nehemiah because Nehemiah is such a savage. And Nehemiah was a builder and he was used by God to do great things. And Nehemiah went to his king, to his boss and said, hey, can I go to Jerusalem and rebuild my city? And the king looked at him and said, you're crazy. Let's do it. And he gave him the command, March 14th, 445 BC. And if you do the math and count it forward, it's exactly to the very day that Jesus rode in on a donkey and he wept. Listen, <laughs> they didn't see it. The day of their visitation, 176,880 days later. And it kind of makes me laugh and chuckle like, what? They didn't see it? It was prophesied to the exact day. But how many times have you been so dumb that God gives you miracles and blessings and insight and invitation and you just choose something different? You choose something foolish. This morning, I was actually reading and praying early this morning. I got a good night's sleep last night. Anybody getting good sleep yet? Okay, that's about to change. Now, now that you're all recovered from your jet lag, we're going home tomorrow. Sorry about that. And I got, I got some good sleep. And, and as I was just praying, I was just praying to the Lord, saying, Lord, just take my heart. Take all of it. 
any area where I've just chosen not to see you and chosen to be rebellious and chosen not to go all in. I just was, it's such a good morning for me. The Lord just said, Luke, let's go. Let's go deeper. Let's go as far as, as, as I desire, Luke, to take you. I have things I want to do in your life. I have things that I want to do through you, things I want to do for you, things I want to do in you. And I believe the Lord has that same invitation to every single one of us that he would say, as he said in John 7, on these steps, as he would go in, if anybody is thirsty, we all thirst, come to me and I will give you rivers of living water. This he spake of the Holy Spirit that would come after. And I suppose here on this Palm Sunday as Jesus came in, the last thing I would point out, and it's in another gospel as he recounts this story, the Bible says that Jesus came in, he wept, and he went right to the temple. And the Bible says he surveyed the temple. And then he went back to Bethany. The very next day he comes in on a Monday and he cleanses the temple for the second time. He had cleansed the temple at the beginning of his earthly ministry, telling people, hey, it's time to get right or you're gonna get left. You need to get with the program. Prepare the way of the Lord, his older cousin John the baptizer said about him. It's time to repent for the kingdom of God is it near. And Jesus lived three years after the cleansing of the temple for the first time. And when he came back the second time, man, man, they didn't get it. They just kept procrastinating, not all of them. Some, some of them had soft hearts. Nicodemus had a soft heart. Nicodemus, who was given that talk with Jesus there at night in the walls of Jerusalem. Nicodemus, who had that time with Jesus, and Jesus was harsh with Nicodemus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, nobody's going to heaven unless they're born again. And Nicodemus, the smartest guy at that time, argued and said, well, I got to get back in my mom's womb. How can I do this? And Jesus said, no, you got to be born of the Spirit. You got to be born of the Spirit. And did you know that years would go by and on Jesus's crucifixion, Jesus would hang on the cross and people would desert him and people would leave him. Yet two men were there. Two men had a softened heart after they heard the good news of Jesus. Two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. <laughs> Nicodemus risking their reputation, risking their wealth, risking their lives, pulling Jesus' dead body off the cross. And I just want to encourage each and every one of us. It's so fun. This is such a cool group of people that God's assembled. I met some of you for the first time on this trip. This is where I met you, and it's just been so fun to see the Lord jealous together. And I know most of you guys back at South Beach Church, and I know what God's doing in your life and what God's doing in my life as well. And he wants our hearts to be soft towards him. And he's such a savior. He's so compassionate. He's so kind. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. He'll always pursue us. He'll leave the 99 to go find you. And that's good news. And yet what he asks from you, what he asks from me, he says, hey, come to me. Come to me. Don't reject me. Do, do something big. Sacrifice something of your life for something bigger than yourself. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they did this. They had soft hearts towards the Lord. And we're going to continue our tour today and we're going to see more sights. And our hope, my hope, the hope of God is that he would take everything we've seen here in Jerusalem, everything we see in the Sea of Galilee, everything we've seen at En Gedi and Masada and, and everything we see at Joppa and all the things we saw at Caesarea Philippi and all the things would soften our hearts and soften the soil of our hearts. 
And so right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're going to pray and ask God to do a miracle in our hearts for such a time as this. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you. And sitting here on these southern steps where, Lord, you sat, where you taught, where you ministered, why would you sit, teach, and minister here? Because you're the Savior. Because you're the one. Because you're the one who knows our deepest need. And your greatest deed was to fulfill our greatest need, to seek and to save the lost, to save us from our sins. In that Passion Week, Lord, marked by your humility, riding in on a donkey, but not just your humility, but your sovereignty over all things. You're the lion and the lamb. And we give our lives to you. And we thank you, Lord, for giving your life for us. And we pray blessings upon Jerusalem in Jesus' name. We pray peace upon Israel in Jesus' name. We pray for revival amongst our Jewish brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. We pray for peace, Lord, economically. Peace, Lord, militarily. Peace, Lord, politically. We pray for you just to shine your light in, Lord, and just peace spiritually. Peace civilly, Lord. Bless this country. We ask for the peace of Israel, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And we thank you for bringing us here, Lord. Would you do a work in our hearts? And I pray for my brothers and sisters back in South Beach or wherever they're watching online right now that you would do in them, Lord, what only you can do. And I'm gonna give an opportunity right now for us to respond in some way and to say, Lord, just take me deeper. Lord, do more for my life. And maybe at South Beach Church, the worship team could come up right now. You guys are gonna sing a song and you're gonna respond and the pastors are gonna come up and this is the time, Pastor, whoever's leading worship, I think it's Pastor Ryan, come up and lead us in worship. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would take us right where we're at. Take us further. Lord, give us greater insight to your word. I thank you that you've not left us, Lord, as those who have to make stuff up and figure it out on our own, but you've given to us a roadmap. Lord, I pray that you would make our, th- our, our hearts, Lord, more thirsty for you than ever before and that we would respond, Lord, not by going to other cisterns, Lord, that leak and silly things of this world, but we would go to the living water and we would find ourselves bearing fruit. And here in Israel right now, eyes are closed. You can open up your eyes if you want. It's beautiful. And when you guys are watching this, whenever you are, if you want the Lord to move in your life in a deeper way, you want all that he has, you don't want him to weep a a tear of brokenness over you, but to rejoice and to sing over you. If you want your life to count, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, would you just right now, just Holy Spirit anointing, would you raise up your hand right now and just say, yes, Lord, I want more of your Holy Spirit. I want more of you in my life. Lord, my hands are up too because I want this in Jesus' name. I ask you to anoint us, Lord, for the lives you've called us to. Lord, I pray for greater giftings. Would you give us gifts right now? Give us the gifts of the Spirit, Lord. Help us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us compassion. Lord, I pray that you'd fulfill, in Jesus' name, your word, Lord, through our lives. And if you're at home watching right now, your hands should be up too. If you want that power of the Holy Spirit, raise up your hands right now. Right now, and you guys could all be standing. If you're not standing, stand up. Get ready to worship the Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Lead us and guide us. We thank you, God, for going before us. We trust you. Thank you for coming in on Palm Sunday, changing everything, for cleansing the temple, cleanse the temple of our hearts as well. Lord, if there's any tables that need flipping, man, we give you permission. Get in there and flip stuff over. We want more of you, more room in our lives. Thank you, God, for all you've done. Lord, bless us as we continue to trust you in all things. Help us to do the next right thing, step by step. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen and amen.